Who are you, and what do you do? Uh, my name's Dan Ma, and I currently work for an independent company called Explosive Allen Productions. And and uh, what's in the name over there? The name comes from uh, a random gamer tag, as suggested by the console. Um, one of the guys who co-founded the company uh, was just trying to create a tag to capture video from, and Explosive Allen was one of the suggestions, which basically tickled everyone. No end. Um, <laughs> it's really stuck. So when we were trying to come up with a company name, we were trying to come up with something very serious. And then we just went back to Explosive Allen and thought, well, there's a name that no one's going to forget easily. Mm. And it's obviously not copyrighted yet. So. Apparently not, no. <laughs> we are in the process of uh, registering it. So. Good job, good job. Uh, so we'll get on with it. Um, what's your earliest memory with regards to video games? Um, it's It was a... A trip to a trip to France. I was two years old, and it was notable for two things. One, because it's the only time I went to hospital for a, I had an accident while I was over there, and and two because my mom stuck me on a on a, on a Pac-Man arcade machine, and a, a love affair began. Um, what was the first time you found yourself playing something religiously? Religiously, oh. Um, that was probably back in the Spectrum days. Um, it may have been, it may have actually been a, a Centipede clone called Spectipede. There were there were a couple of games like that around that time. I, I couldn't pinpoint chronologically which was the first, but there was that, and there was also um, a sort of proto platformer called Sir Lancelot, uh, which was incredibly difficult. But I think the one, that, actually, I think the one, come to think of it now. I really put a lot of time into it was a really dodgily titled uh, Melbourne house shooter called Penetrator, um, which was it, which was a, a it was a spin on I think the arcade version was called Scramble, and it just it was basically a shooter where you could also bomb enemies, and you got to the end and it just made you go backwards I think, and then when you got to the other end it just made you go forwards again. The colour palette <laughs> may have changed slightly, but it was it was just in that old. That old uh, trend for just games that just never ended, and I just go back and forth and back and forth, you know, as much as I could, until I died or just or just got fed up or had to go to bed. Mm, I know it well. <laughs> um, when did you first become aware of games being something that was more in the mainstream, that were beyond your field of of knowledge, that other people were playing them, or that TV was covering them, or they were in magazines? Um, there was there was a TV program um, which was I think between students and I can never remember the name of it but there was a challenge on it where people used to play hypersports and I thought oh wow you know gaming is gaming is breaking through to the mainstream now because it's part of this TV show so it was you know a, a competition that was largely about intelligence and general knowledge and in the middle of it they were playing the uh, the breaststroke level from from hypersports on the commodore um i think beyond that i think a lot of it, i think a lot of it was that and also were the tv shows do you remember motormouth i'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure it was the oh, God, yeah. it was early version of uh, magic pockets on that didn't they mm. and before i, I couldn't and, and weird dreams like two games on the amiga that you couldn't get you know they were on tv first and that that was quite big at the time and beyond that, I was just—I was just a religious reader of, of games mags. I read CVG, Ace, Game Machine, um, Sinclair User, Your Sinclair. Oh God, yeah. 
anything I could get my hands on, and it, it just uh, it just kind of opened the, the wider world of gaming to me. What impact, if any, do you think games had on your life and your development from childhood? And uh, how different would you be if they hadn't existed? I'd be a very different... I think I would have latched onto something else and obsessed over it. I'm not sure what. I mean, I've got my kind of sub-interests of, of, um, of movies and, 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 and just TV and cartoons and whatever. You know, just, that, it would have been one of those things, I think, that I would have then chosen over, over gaming. But to be honest, to return to the, the first part of your question... Um, it's immeasurable impact it's had on my life it's completely gaming has completely shaped my life um i think the reason my mom got me a computer was because i lived in a very kind of rough working class part of all the hampton my house faced onto a main road you know and i think uh, her thinking at the time was if 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 he wants to kind of stay indoors and, and play on the computer instead there's less danger of him wandering out getting run over bumping into kids who uh, who are naughty going on drugs, dying in an alley. You know, I don't know if her chain of thought went that far ahead, but, you know, that, that was that was kind of where the gaming thing started. But, yes, I, I just, I just, I don't know what my life would be like without it. I think I think my wife would prefer that my <laughs> life existed without video games. But um, I wouldn't have met my wife if it hadn't been for video games because we worked together at PlayStation. So, you know, there are so many aspects of gaming that, even just the world around it has, has completely impacted my life. My interests to my career to, you know, my my love life. You know, my my, my, my whole family could be, you know, born out of video games ultimately. Um, how do you think games or the games industry come across to the public? And does the industry itself represent itself in the best possible way? I think the games industry presents many faces but then the games industry is, is a multifaceted thing so um, I think the struggle they face right now is it's it's still it's still the same thing it's still it's still really being accepted and still not being perceived as the spots perceived the you know thing things like the Wii and to a degree connect are breaking down that illusion um, but only because they're pandering to a certain mindset mm. of, of you know what makes for acceptable gaming um, but, you know beyond that I think there are only things that gamers will understand if you if you show games out of context no matter how much you kind of prepare people for it they're still ultimately probably going to be horrified by some of what they see. I, I think gaming a lot is, is, is far worse when you describe it to someone than it is if you actually get them to sit down and play it. You know, you, you've had controversies over the years for Mortal Kombat and Manhunt and games like that. And um, if you say to someone, oh, there's this game where you, 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 punch a game, you punch a guy's head off and then he falls into a pit of spikes and just oozes blood everywhere well, heads on spikes surround him you'd be like that's that's just really disgusting why would I ever want to engage in that and yet people know because it's gaming it's a really great form of escapism and and more often than not the very same person will go oh that just sounds disgusting will then go off and watch you know whatever movie or whatever TV show with with 
you know, similar similar levels of, of content, explicit content, be it you know, sex gore, whatever. Um, I, I think it's, it, I think gaming to a lot of people still looks is still very sensationalist. Um, it's cheap thrills, and uh, you know that a lot of games really sell themselves on those on those gimmicks. But you know, more often than not, there's there's a lot more to it than that. It's just that people tend to pick out the elements of it that are that are extreme, but don't actually focus on the fact that it's say. Look, I mean, look at Gears of War for example. Mm-hmm. That's a game where someone will go, "Hey, in that game, you can chainsaw a, a, an alien in half," and that'll be what people dwell on. Oh my god, it's disgusting. Uh, but then you also go, "Well, look at." technology involved look at the kind of artistry involved in, in the environments um you know the, the the level of the production values the the, the quality of the actual gameplay there's so many um there's so many kind of factors aside from chainsawing thing in half where a lot of work and a lot of intelligent people have been working extremely extremely hard and long hours to make something that's a really accomplished uh accomplished game and yet people will tend to still focus on those bits that are that are easily translatable into a into a reactionary tabloid headline. So, I, I think I think the games industry at large, you know, it's it's, it's a big issue. It's it's, mm. it's a very it's a very hard matter to cover. I think that I think they're doing it as well as they can. And and to be honest, when games do court controversy, you know, for you know most of the time that there's some PR guy rubbing mm-hmm. his hands together with glee because my game's just got a ton of free advertising on the front page of the Daily Mail. Um, you know, and any any kind of 15-year-old kid who sees that, their eyes are just going to light up and go, that's the game I want, you know. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, I'm not saying the games industry is entirely... Yeah, they can't uh, act coy you know, about do, it. ...doing their due diligence as far as responsibility goes, but, um, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah... They, hmm. they do their bit. I think. I think. I think it's. Um, I think it's the rest of the media that needs to uh, get an education. Moving on to the rest of the media, do you think the mainstream press and media even know how to begin talking about video games? The mainstream media. Hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you only have to look at uh, newspapers like the Guardian, and uh, you know, I know quite people that also write for mainstream publications <laughs> who themselves are very passionate about the subject matter. But probably aren't afforded the space that they'd like to talk about about it. I think when you're looking at men's mags, for example, they they get maybe half a page if they're lucky, mm-hmm. uh, and that's because you know from a from the top level, the editorials to the editor standpoint, they are still a bit of a niche subject. Um, so in that regard, yes, they 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 could do with um, an education. Um, but no, as I say, I think you look at something like The Guardian, that really stands out to me as, as a newspaper that has embraced gaming properly, that gives it um, great placement, uh, and also has you know a dedicated games blog written by several incredibly intelligent and, and uh, knowledgeable people. Um, and, and you know, it's really, it's really credits to that paper. It's always been you know, my favourite and very forward-thinking in that regard. Um, to, to, to really talk about gaming in a, in a, in a very uh, broad and, and, and clever way. Um, on top of that, I mean, I was, I was very impressed with, with the Metro, actually. Um, a friend of mine, David Jenkins, uh, edits the games page, um, but he's, he's, he's freelanced and written for Games TN, Edge, various, various you know, big publications over the years, and uh, was actually the guy that replaced Paul Rose 
after Digitizer fell over and became Game Central. Mm. Ran that for a spell. So yeah, he's he's gone from doing Game Central and 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 writing for the Metro to actually having a full two-page spread every week now, which is the same amount of space that's afforded to music, to to, to literature, to, to film. Um, and I think it's a really it's a really forward-thinking step from Metro to to give it that same positioning that the people expect a game section to be there in the same way that expect those those other mediums to to be represented in the paper. So I think they're, I think they're two really good examples. Um, I, I think that other I mean I mean to be fair, even in a kind of basic way, the, the tabloids. Um, I think it might be the the Sun has always had like a, a fair games page and everyone every Saturday or something mm-hmm. oh, I don't read this um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure they do though and, it, and even though it's 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 at the sun's level in terms of games coverage at least it's there at least it's represented and, and, and given a and given a fair stab as well but um, yeah I'd really kind of like to see the, the Guardian model employed more um, it was really nice as well another friend of mine Matt Hill um, I had the fortune of of uh, writing a feature about the 25th anniversary of Zelda for the Guardian Guide, and that ended up get, getting taken on as the as the front page feature for that edition. You know that that they're the kind of things I want to see more of. Where you, you're more, you're as likely to see Rihanna on the cover of the Guide as you are to see to see Mario, and I mm. think that's that's really where we, we we should be going with the mainstream press. Yeah, indeed. Um, do you think games are a viable form of entertainment compared with other mediums like film or music? Yes. <laughs> um, what else can I say? Yes, mm. of course. It's it, it's it's in, 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 I don't know. It's, it, I'm not going to say better. It's it's their equal. They're, they've all got their own benefits. But you know, get gaming for me, I would I would much rather sit in front of a game than I would watch them on TV. Ninety percent of the time, I think. Mm. Um, and I would much rather play games with people as well. Um, yeah, it has its place uh, among those things, and it, and it has for a long time now. It's I, I don't think I don't think it's even anything that should be even questioned. I think it, it should just be uttered in the same breath as as other entertainment medium, and you know no more should be said on the matter. No no one questions the validity of uh, of film, music, TV, and I don't think anyone should question the validity of gaming to, to sit alongside those as equals. Have games grown? Yes, uh, considerably. You look at you look at the Atari years, you look at the arcade years, uh, and the home computing years, and there was a lot of imagination, but not a lot um, that they could do with, with the technology afforded to them now. And I'm talking to you right now on an iPad I've recently purchased, and I've just you know gone to town on the App Store and rinsed through the games, and just looking at the level of variety, the level of creativity, not just from the way you play the games, but from the from the visual standpoint, um, anything from Infinity Blade 2, which is you know, a console-level game, computer-level game in every sense, in terms of the visuals, in terms of the depth, in terms of the, the control scheme. It's just an incredibly polished product. And then right at the other end, I'm playing a free Japanese arcade style game called Electro Master which is which is styled exactly like something from the mid 80s uh, from Taito or, or, or the likes of something like Mr. Do's Castle or um, or Bubble Bobble these kind of great single screen experience games and I'm, and I'm enjoying this whole 
gamut of, of games just on my iPad. And on top of that, I've got my 3DS and I'm seeing how Street Pass is being integrated brilliantly into things like Resident Evil Revelations, into Kid Icarus. Um, you know, on my Xbox, you've got Xbox Live Arcade, you've got retail games, you've got indie games. You know, it, it's, it's growing, it's growing in terms of volume. It's growing in terms of variety. Um, it, it's growing in terms of originality and accessibility. You know, the number of people who can actually develop games now is, is you know, the, the highest it's ever been. And in terms of, from a global standpoint as well, we're seeing so much more come out of countries that have just previously been silent. And now this, this technology is reaching them. You're suddenly seeing great games coming out of really unexpected places, you know, South America and, and East, East Europe. And, you know, and you, and you're really seeing how, um, that, that local mentality applied to gaming. It, it just means it's just, so many, as, as, as is the case with film, and you watch foreign cinema, you realise there's so many diverse perspectives on on film. Now we're seeing this breadth of diverse perspectives on on game design, and it's fascinating, and, it, and it's just getting bigger. In what directions would you personally like to see the medium move and grow or develop yourself? I, hmm, where would I like to see it go? I think I would like to, well, I don't think I'd like to, for it to carry on on its current trajectory, sorry, trajectory, uh, in every regard. As I say, it's growing, it's getting bigger. Um, but I'm very wary of the, the notion of the blockbuster game. Um, I'm, I'm very wary of the effect that this is having on, uh, respective publishers who are releasing very accomplished retail titles and suffering because of uh, I don't know if it's because of you know the economy and that people are really kind of hedging their bets when it comes to buying games or or that the the the, or the culture of the AAA title has fostered this um, skepticism of anything that isn't on TV that isn't, um, you know, that isn't hype to the eyeballs. It's, it's, you know, I've played, I've, I've kind of made a concerted effort over the last few months to play some good seven out of ten games and, and, and go, these games are great. These are very good games. Seven out of ten is, is a good sign. You know, not everything has to be an eight or a nine. And you're seeing this kind of metacritic score aggregator culture, not only heavily influencing people's purchasing decisions, but it's also influencing development decisions. I, I, I've seen presentations where people go, you know, uh, our last game got an 80 Metacritic, our goal with this one is an 85 to 90. And, that, and, that's, and that's kind of, that's their, that's their measurement now, that's their indicator of success. It's not we get great feedback from the people playing it, it's that critically it gets this and, and achieves these certain sales numbers. And that's really all they're basing it on. It's not. It's not really a, a customer satisfaction thing. So that's one aspect I'd like to see change. And I'd, I don't know how it can change now. That's the weird thing. When you've gone so far with the likes of Call of Duty and, mm. and those and those games, and you speak to people and they go, "What games you've got?" And they call. They go Call of Duty and FIFA. And that's it. That it, it's very hard to kind of pull those people out of that mentality and to even consider looking elsewhere. And and the 
And the reason for that is is those games just go on as long as they need to. People will happily play Call of Duty until the next Call of Duty comes out. People will happily play FIFA Online until the next FIFA comes out and never even feel the need for another game. Um, you know, on, online gaming has, has has made certain games just exist in this state of perpetuity where they can just they can just go on forever. And you know, World of Warcraft, etc. People will just happily play and play and play as long as you know they get fed a little bit more content as, as it goes on. Hmm. Um, in some ways, that's great, and I think that represents great value for money. Um, but by other means, though, I, I think it, it restricts the desire to explore other avenues. I think, say, in the days of the Super Nintendo, I'd play, I'd play Super Mario World to death, get my 96 stars, and I'd go, right, that's Mario World done. I can put that down, move on to game two. Um, but there's no there's no kind of finite point for a lot of games now, mm. and uh, it, I think it's really affecting people's decisions to like then splash out another forty quid. It's like, well, I've paid forty quid for a game that's going to last me a year. Why do I need to do that again? Um, so so that's but that's one tangent that you know that's that's just one tangent. But as I say, because of this amount of growth um, and the fact that there's this almost kind of return to kind of grassroots development, um, which is allowing for more creativity and and, and more originality. I just I really hope that that side continues and continues to be profitable. Um, I know everyone's kind of looking for the next Angry Birds or, or something like that. That's fine, but um, as long as it doesn't deter people from uh, pursuing genuinely artistic and original ideas, then I think we're on a really good track. But I don't think that's going to stop soon. We're, we're seeing stuff like Dear Esther and I've just started playing uh, Super Brothers Swords and Sorcery EP. Um, you know they're, they're both they're both kind of out of this world in terms of what they're doing and as long as, long as there's some niche in gaming where that's that's continuing to happen I'm, I'm going to be 100% on board Can video games ever be considered of the same cultural value as film, art and theatre? Ooh, culturally um, I don't know if we're at a stage there yet I don't think there are that many games that are, you know, that really capture the zeitgeist. You know, does, does this game really talk to the political situation uh, of, a, of a country right now? Does it talk to um, you know, the, uh, the disillusionment of the youth of the of the, of the 90s? You know, there, there are so many albums you can listen to and films you can watch that, that really capture the flavour of a, of a time and a moment and I don't think gaming does that it, it only captures its own moment it only captures um, where gaming is at that, at that period in that way it can be quite insular I think you do get the odd thing you know there was, there was the controversy about the, uh, the kind of Final Fantasy style Columbine High school massacre game that someone developed. I saw hmm. I saw somebody playing a, a JFK game the other day, but you know they're not really capturing the moment. They're just kind of they will say commenting. I will say to a degree exploiting. Hmm. You know certain extreme extreme uh, incidents, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't think you'll be seeing games about the about the situation on on the Gaza Strip or you know things like that. Um, I, I was I was privy to a game during my days at Sony called Six Days in Fallujah, mm. 
um, which was developed by uh, it was I can't remember the name of the team, but it was an independent team who were developing it with the cooperation of, of Marines who'd served um, in, the, in, the, in the war, and it the reaction to it was 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 vicious. I mean, this was an internal meeting, uh, you know, just a private presentation, and literally. The, the reaction to it was so violent that within about half an hour of the presentation, like the head of the company came and said, uh, yeah, we've decided not to publish this game. And that was purely based on that reaction at that meeting. And in, in a way, it's a shame because that it's, it's a controversial game to make. And I think a game where you're actually playing the soldier shooting as they would have it insurgents um, is, is a kind of one-sided way. But I, I think... As if it had been released, I think Konami also rejected it after they originally said they were going to publish it further down the line. Um, I think it would have stood as a really good uh, symbol of like what was going on at that point. You know, you go, oh, this is this is this this was the war that's happening. This was a game that was released to to kind of coincide with that. In the same way, you know, people people don't complain that Paul Greengrass released United '93 as a depiction of what happened on. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know the plane during 9/11, but if you were to play a game of that, I think the reaction would have been much more violent because you know how exploitative is it that you're actually playing as a, as a passenger who's doomed to death, but being able to watch it passively and not be involved in it is is kind of considered acceptable. Um, by the same token, I think with Six Days in Fallujah, even even I was a bit like, oof, this is a bit near the knuckle for me. I think historically, looking back on it, people would have gone. What an amazing example of, of, of propaganda, almost. You know, we, we look at the Your Country Needs You posters and things like that. It's really symbolic at that time and the real kind of call to action that they, that they represented. And then you could have actually looked at something like Six Days in Fallujah as, as, a, as almost a video game equivalent of that. Like, join the army. You know, that, that kind of mentality. Mm. It was, it was um, yeah... In a, in a way, I think if one publisher was brave enough to have published it, I think it could have actually represented something quite significant. Um, but as it stands, I think it's, I think it's very difficult to release something that's um, that's cult- genuinely culturally significant rather than being a cultural event in, in itself. Mm. So, yeah. Release of GTA, a new GTA game is now considered to be a big cultural event. I don't think it's actually representative of a culture. Do games have to be fun? Uh, ideally, <laughs> if they want my attention, they do anyway. Um, no. If you want, if you want gaming to be considered an art form, then I think you have to allow for interpretations of what a game actually is um, and yes you you would anticipate that anyone developing a game that their primary objective would be to make it fun um, because you want to play it but by the same token I wouldn't necessarily say that the, the kind of myriad obscure simulators that have come out on the PC you know, combine harvester simulator and games <laughs> like that I don't think they were built primarily with fun in mind. I think they were built for people to experience what it's like to drive a combine harvester. Um, maybe 
someone who wants to drive a common harvester will find that you know endlessly entertaining. <laughs> um, so I, 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 th- I think that's fundamentally it. I think I think whether you, whether you like it or not, whatever it, whatever it is, someone somewhere is going to find it have to find a degree of fun in what you do. So you know, I, I'm not a fan of sims in general. Flight sim just, just wouldn't interest me in the slightest. But someone loves flight sims, so they're going to go and play that. And go, I'm having a, I'm having a great time. I'm I'm trying I'm flying my Boeing 747 and. It's it's brilliant. Um, I'd, I, I've seen experiments to make games as as kind of devoid of fun as possible. Um, Takeshi Kitano released one for the Famicom, mm. um, where he oh yes yes I remember yeah. that, the boss battle where it's a thousand punches to beat the last boss and things like that. It's things like well yeah was, I think it was a karaoke game where you had to sing in your controller but your controller didn't have a microphone. <laughs> you just had to kind of shout at your controller or. Um, there was a Penn and Teller game as well, where they Penn and Teller's game was basically the Western equivalent of that. Where it was, I remember there was like a road trip where you had to drive hundreds of miles, or even thousands of miles in this bus in real time. Um, and when you got to the end, I think it just made you drive back. So it's, it's penetrate all over again. Um, but yeah, you know, they, they, these were like deliberately kind of subversive attempts to to to, to take the gaming medium and, and just create something that's just not fun. Um, but but that's it. They exist as experiments, and people look at them and go, well, "Okay, see what you were doing there." But I'm never going to play this. Um, and, then, and again, therefore, you've you've unearthed the inherent flaw in, in their games. Like you've, you've made your statement, but uh, it's a pretty pointless one because you've done it in a medium where 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 fun is where fun is paramount. Have you ever felt that playing a game could have an adverse effect on your emotional or physical well-being without your knowing? And have you ever spent more time playing one than you should? I don't think I've ever felt that it was changing me emotionally. No, um, I'm, I'm like any hotload gamer in that I will get riled um, and, and frequently scare my wife by just going shit, you know, just in the middle of a game of uh, <laughs> middle of COD or Max Payne or whatever. Um, but but it's 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 always very much in in that moment. It's not something that it's not residual. Um, I don't kind of carry a heavy loss on Street Fighter with me and, and take it out of my colleagues. You know, it's it's just I get I get frustrated in in that time, but I, I never kind of lose sight of what it is I'm I'm really doing. You know, if I'm, I, I might as well get emotionally involved in the game of Monopoly. Um, I think I think games have a capacity to to affect your emotional state in the in again the same way that a good book or a good film will do in very different ways. I think I actually got quite teary at the end of Zelda Twilight Princess because I was actually because it was over and I was like I, I don't I wasn't actually quite ready to let go of the characters and I really loved um, I really loved Midna. I thought she was the best supporting character in a Zelda game uh, ever. And I just love the relationship they had in it, and um, and that, and when she reverted back to her kind of humanoid form, and it was all kind of over, I was like, oh god, you know, that was that was a that was a real kind of emotional journey. And people always slate that Zelda game. But I thought that was one of the best examples of, of storytelling throughout that entire series. Um, and apart from that, I, just, I think I've ever been. I think I think for me, it's it's usually more just kind of whoops of joy and just like oh just like little laughter when I when I see a little feature that just, that just really tickles me 
I just feel the need to kind of show people and go, look at this, it's it's amazing, and and that and that's that's really the main kind of emotion is just kind of awe and wonder and 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 happiness, uh, punctuated by the odd scream of frustration. Um, so well, I've gone I've gone slightly off track. What what was the second part? Of <laughs> and uh, have you ever played a game from longer than you feel you should have? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh God, so often I played. Um, the thing is, I've played games what, for what I perceive to be a very long amount of time, and then I look at the amount of time people have racked up on MMOs and go, oh, "It's nothing, it's absolutely nothing." But I've, you know, I, I, I thought the fact that I put 85 hours into Final Fantasy VII was obsessive, just to get the gold chocobo. Um, the fact that I put about as much time into into Fallout Three um, that I've played, I've played most Zelda games until I found every heart piece. And I've played Pokemon games for 70 hours plus, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker 70 hours plus, and all in the pursuit of perfectionism, in the, in the pursuit of, uh, of being a, a, a proper completionist, hmm. as if that has any long-term standing on my enjoyment of the game. Uh, it doesn't. You know, I, I'll get to the end of a Pokemon game. I mean, obviously the goal is, I know you finished the single player, you should go out and play Pokemon with your friends and battle your Pokemon. And, it, and that's when I check out. It's like, oh, the story's over. I've just got to spend a lot of time grinding and, and just hoping that I've trained them in a certain way. And, you know, I, I read about these Pokemon competitions and think, oh, dear God, I'm just nowhere. I've put this amount of time in it and I am I'm nothing. I'm, 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 I'm a complete blip in the Pokemon universe, but I feel like I've put more time than I, than I need to in it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I have quite a good capacity for checking out uh, kind of in a very definite manner so I, I uh, what was the most recent one Star Wars The Old Republic was the first MMO I ever played and I kind of just played that whenever I could and I was and I was playing it I was playing it I was I'm, I'm going to find a game here at some point I'm going to I'm going to find something that's, that's going to entertain me and it was almost that pursuit of enjoyment that kept me going until I just realised, okay, I had to play for 20 hours to get something that makes me move 10% faster. You know, that's not a reward. You know, deliberately hobbling me, being being a Jedi and then hobbling me uh, until I get an artificial stat boost that helps me navigate a ridiculously large world. To me, is not a good use of your time. It's just I'm just wandering around this very expansive area, wasting time, and this game is built around wasting time and then I, I can't remember what I played after that I think I think I actually went from the Old Republic to Zelda Skyward Sword and I just went this is what a game should be this is a game where everything is every everything is is there for you there's, there's very little unnecessary navigation or at least it keeps everything as tight as possible and, and tells you a great story and gives you a lot to do and, and just gives you a great variety of things to do um, and, and that you know, and I put a lot of time into that. But I, I felt that every minute I put into Skyward Sword was a minute well spent. Whereas with something like the Old Republic, I felt like fifty-nine of every sixty minutes was just time wasted. Well, that's very telling. Um, on Zelda, Wii or GameCube version? Twilight Princess. Mm. Wii. 
And I, <laughs> I got my Wii, and uh, I was like, I've got to play Zelda on the Wii. So I, I liked it. I mean, it, well, it was good. It was good for the bow and the hook shot. Um, <laughs> not Still, so much, not so much the sword waggling. So, are games addictive? With that in mind. Yeah, they, they can be. They, they. I don't know if it's, if it's addiction or compulsion. I, I always think of myself as a very compulsive person, and that's, as I say, why I can cut myself off. I think if it was an addiction, and, and I could just kind of like needed it, and I need to play it, then, um, uh, yeah, that that would be cause for concern. I'm more compulsive. I like I need to do everything. I need to get everything. I need to collect everything. Um, but you know, once I've done it, or I just kind of go, ah, oh, there's, there's certain parts of it which require uh, an inversely proportional amount of effort versus reward. I find it very easy to just kind of go no. But that said, you, you've you've heard talk of Korean StarCraft players dying of impacted battles because they haven't moved for 72 hours, and mm. you know, I, I, th- I think I think everything has the capacity to be addictive. It, it just depends on an individual's mindset, um, and it and it does to a degree depend on the psychology that the game maker has has employed as well. Um, you know, there, there's definitely a science to it. There's definitely a formula to it. How do we how do we spin this out? How do we maintain this? You know, loyalty to our game by kind of spinning them out with just one more. You know, one more breadcrumb or one more carrot that we dangle in front of them, and they've eaten that carrot. Let's dangle a slightly bigger carrot in front of them afterwards. You know, it's it's a combination of the two, and there there are people who can see that and kind of see through that mechanic and go, okay, I see what you're doing, I get it, and I and I'm you know, and I'm gonna buy into it, but I you know, don't think for a second that I don't know what you're up to. And then there are people who just don't, who who are presented with this kind of reward structure. And that just becomes their their kind of narrow-minded pursuit. That's all they do. It's just tunnel vision. They go, right, I'm going to go after all this because it's great. And they don't really go, you know what, I'm actually being really cynically manipulated by a game developer who knows precisely what they're doing Um, because they they just lack the necessary um, self-awareness probably or something. You know, I I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's it's got that capacity. But I... I, I, uh, I tend to I tend to stay away from this slightly more kind of sensationalist gaming is addictive camp. I mm. just I think like anything, it, it, it rests on the individual and um and 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 how their mind functions. And you just can't predict from person to person what one thing what impact that one thing's going to have on you. Do you think games are capable enough on a narrative or expressive level to create real emotional responses? Yeah, well, as you say, we have we have sort of touched on that. Um, I genuinely think by actually by using a, a lot of techniques that that cinema has already employed, and that's the, the, the fusion of of music and and visual. To, to generate an emotional response, um, I think it has been used quite effectively across um, a f- no, not not a huge amount of games, but def- definitely a fair few. Uh, one that springs to mind was uh, Shadow of the Colossus, um, which, which to me didn't have to say much to to really get its points across, 
and it, and it, and it kind of had this beautiful it had a beautiful ambiguity to it throughout where you were you were basically killing these magnificent beasts with a very single-minded um, with a very very single-minded objective which was to bring back the girl um, and you had to kind of question the hero's motivation is like it was was basically making 15 unique creatures extinct who weren't bothering anyone for the sake of one girl was that really worth what you were doing so every time you killed another one at the time you were doing it you were you were kind of gripped in the in the, in the kind of the thrill of the battle the thrill of working out how to take it down and every time you did it you it was immediately replaced by this like oh my god what have i done kind of melancholia you know just uh, the the realization is the black, you know, the, the, the black stuff is kind of spurting out of their out of their heads, and and the, and the sad music's playing as they kind of die. You're like, oh god, okay, I've, I've probably done a very bad thing here. Um, I think that that's an amazing sensation. That's I think that's a really good example of interaction playing a fundamental part of that emotional response as well. So that's that's the third part and I think that's the important part of gaming is the actual the actual interaction element has to also play an equal part in, in evoking that emotional response. And I think in that case it really did. Um, because you you weren't given a moral choice. You were forced on one path uh, based purely on that character's personal moral code. And, but you were the one that had to see it through. And I think that's more powerful than giving player, giving the player the freedom to make their own moral choice. Um, it's like it's like if you were to watch a film, and you know there, there are there are always certain scenes in movies where it doesn't matter how many times you watch the movie, you kind of go, God, I hope it's different this time. I hope they don't make that decision. I hope that you know. That one fatalistic choice they make that completely screws them up just doesn't happen because you're so invested in that character you just don't want to watch it happen, um, and and that, and that's powerful because that that is taken out of the, completely taken out of the viewer's hand, and I think to a degree even though you can put a lot of power in the gamer's hand, I think it's I think it's important to take certain parts out of their hand, and and kind of force them to question their actions. And to kind of and to answer for their actions as well. What do you think of the segregation we, as a greater community, impose upon ourselves? For example, you own a PS3, I own an Xbox, so you're a dick. <laughs> uh, yes, I I was definitely part of the problem, not the solution. In, in my younger years, um, I was uh, I was a spectrum. Didn't like the Commodores, um, and then I was Nintendo, definitely not Sega, um, and then beyond that, I thought this is all stupid, isn't it? They're all making millions. Um, so <laughs> um, I, I, it was funny actually because in the days of, especially in the days of Nintendo Sega, I was just, I just looked at the Super Nintendo, I looked at the Mega Drive, and looked. You're kidding yourself if you actually think this is a better machine because I, I genuinely thought like the Super Nintendo had the best games, that you know the best visuals, the best audio, the best everything, 
and I just think the Mega Drive didn't have a leg to stand on. And then I, you know, then me and my friends agreed to do a swap, and I, I borrowed his Mega Drive, and and uh, he borrowed my snares, and you know, I had a good time. With it. I was still like, it's it's not as good, and Sonic is definitely not as good as Mario, and anyone who says that is a complete buffoon. Um, but um, it, it, it did it did kind of remind me why it was such a kind of hollow pursuit. It's like, well, there's a, there's a re- there's a great deal to enjoy on this as well. And it's not ultimately about superior specifications or anything like that. It's 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 crazy. I was I was literally talking about this the other day about not just brand loyalty, um, but also the, the the idea that gaming is the kind of one it's the one kind of medium where you, you kind of have to make your your call. If, you know, if, you, if you're on a sufficient income, yes, you can buy all the consoles and enjoy everything. But a lot of people don't, and they have to make. Uh, they have to make a call at one point and go, okay, this is the one I'm going to go with. Um, you know, other formats be damned. And and we we were saying like, can you imagine if that applied to anything else? You know, you had the you had the VHS and Betamax wars, they died. You had HD, DVD, and Blu-ray wars that died. Um, you know, what one one out of the other, and then everybody had to adopt that one format, and that was the way it worked across the board. And you can imagine if that was the case with washing machines. I'm sorry, you can't wash you can't wash these Topshop trousers in a washing machine because uh, they're exclusive to Hot Point washers. So it, it's just a ridiculous it's it's a ridiculous conceit of of having of having uh, loyalty to a brand purely because they've got a different chipboard and then <laughs> team or whatever to another. Um, I think I think the segregation part also affects gaming's chances of of really hitting the mainstream. You, you're already presenting people who may not know a lot about games with a choice that they have to make based on what are to them a lot of arbitrary factors. Um, and then you've got okay, thank you for buying this console, thank you for your loyalty. Um, by the way, you're not allowed to play Uncharted now. Um, it's it, it, it's uh, it, I think it damages it. I think it really does. I think it really does hurt it, and and that's why you know mobile and uh, the rise of iOS gaming has, has kind of changed people's perceptions because they just go, oh, I just go to the app store, I just get whatever I want. I can play it on my iPhone. I can play it on my iPad. It's all great. I can play it wherever I go. Whereas whereas with consoles, it it still seems a it still seems a trifle. Um, it still seems a trifle archaic in a way that we still, this many years on, have still decided to break formats up into so many different, into so many different means. Um, but yeah, I might, I might actually contradict myself completely now, because, well, one I already have, because iOS in itself is a specific format, but <laughs> I think it's ubiquitous enough because it's, it's, it's the kind of, it's, it's the kind of device, or the iPad and the iPhone are the kind of devices that people would buy anyway for a variety, of, you know, for a variety of reasons and a variety of functions. Whereas consoles, especially the Xbox right now, are trying to go the other way. It's like, oh, we were primarily a gaming box, but now we're trying to offer all all of this other functionality, and and try and lure people in with that functionality and maybe kind of turn them around to gaming via the entertainment path. But um, right now it's a bit half-hearted. I'm, I'm I'm very interested to see what they do with the next generation. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think in terms of really fusing lifestyle and, and productivity and entertainment and gaming, they, they've actually got a long way to go still to, to, to match up to something like to something like Apple. Do the specialist press or enthusiast press 
do enough to represent the games industry or inform the general public? Um, so you, you mean in terms of gaming magazines? Or even just people like me doing this stuff for free and getting as much information out there? Um, I, I, well, yeah, I, I think the specialist, the, the specialist press, specialist media at large do a hell of a lot. You just, well, like you say, there's, there's people like you who are doing this for free, purely for the kind of the, the passion you have for gaming. Um, and you know you're you're not alone by a country mile. You you just have to go to any number of sites or read any number of magazines to see that I don't think any stone has been left unturned. Well, if you want to find out anything about gaming, it's there. You can go to uh, the killer list. What's it called? The killer list of video games, I think, and that's got every arcade game that's ever been manufactured with all of the hoardings, you know, as, as much information as they've been able to get on arcade games, that's their one thing. Um, you've got uh, you've got game FAQs where you can get tips on pretty much anything and, and right down to the, the, you know, the most obscure stuff. You've got sites that are dedicated just to unreleased games. You've got sites that are dedicated to the art of games. You've got sites that are dedicated to remixing music from games. Every every niche you can possibly imagine is, is catered for um, either by professionals or by amateurs. And and yes, I don't I don't think you could um, I don't think you could actually fault the specialist press for, for not representing gaming in its uh, in its uh, glorious entirety. Uh, how free do open world games really make you feel? Um, oh, it, it, it varies game to game, really. Um, and it also depends what you what you mean by by freedom. Mm. Um, you know, in some cases, with with, I mean, I suppose you know, everyone always perceives something like GTA to be to be the pinnacle. Um, you you are obviously still on a track, but how quickly you follow that track is entirely at, at your discretion. Um, but obviously, you're not going to be fed certain things piecemeal unless um, you follow that track to a degree. So you, you are still um, you are still encouraged to um, to subscribe in part to to what what the game makers the kind of journey that the game makers have intended you to go on. Um, it, it's more about the, the way that you choose to express yourself in that world, um, be it driving carefully, um, you know, trying to get cars legitimately where possible, uh, you know, and only killing bad people. Um, but I, I could probably count the number of people who've ever played GTA like that on no hands. So... <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's 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 freedom. It's freedom to to break the law and, and kill people is, is is what that game gives you ultimately. It doesn't give you freedom to be um, a law-abiding citizen who plays by the book and uh, and just wants to settle down and get a mortgage. So you know what what is free? You're, you're always going to be defined by certain boundaries uh, that that the game imposes on you. Um, but usually, usually it's it's the freedom in those games is defined by 
um, the means by which you fulfill your objectives. So yeah, so something, so again, kind of sticking with GTA as an example. The, the beauty of a game like that is when you talk to your friends about how they finished a certain mission or how it ended up, ever, everyone's got a slightly different story about what happened, about the the, 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 the carnage that ensued or some comedy pileup or, oh, I just decided to steal 20 cars and just block them in so when the mission started they were just sitting ducks and I shot them, you know. Everyone, everyone can apply their own level of, of thought and creativity um, to, to, to fulfilling a goal. And I, th and I think, you know, in terms of freedom, that's, that's great. Um, but I'd also consider The Sims. You know, The, the Sims is, is, is sandbox. The little big planet is sandbox in a way. Um, and they, they afford you far more freedom. They, they offer you a ridiculous amount of freedom within, within those worlds. Um, so, yeah, there, there's obviously... There has to be limits, otherwise you'd just be living real life. I mean, look at Animal Crossing. I mean, I stopped playing Animal Crossing because that was real life. Just it's like it was like Nintendo taking real life and and dressing up again <laughs> and going, look at this cute fancy world. It's like I'm paying a mortgage and I'm doing chores. <laughs> you know, once once those things actually become a reality and then you start doing it in a game, you're like, I'm not having fun anymore because this is just a stark reminder of. Uh, you know, of, of, of all the uh, of all the hardships I have to go through in, in the real world, and now I'm spending time doing it by paying a bloody raccoon bells to add an extra floor to my house instead. What motivates you to finish a game? Um, as I think as I've touched on previously, the fact that I'm a bit of a completionist. Um, but but two, just the outcome. You know, why would you? Why would you watch a film and then switch off 15 minutes before the end? Uh, why would you not listen to an entire album? Why, why would you not watch the end of a you know, the end of a 26 26 episode TV series? You want you you're keen to know what the outcome is. You want to know what you know ultimately what the upshot of all the effort you've been putting in is. Uh, you know whether that be through a really gratifying uh, storyline or the conclusion to a storyline. Um, you know, which is something that the Mass Effect series has struggled with recently, um, or or because I'm going to be on a leaderboard. You know, what 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 compels me to, to complete a track on trials? It's because I want to know what time I'm going to get, how many faults I'm going to get, and how many friends I've you know beaten or lost to. I think I think every game has its own motivation for getting to the end, and it's the it's the role of the developer to make sure that it's it's compelling enough for you to want to see what's at the end um, yeah it's for them to define it really but what it should be is it's either a that the gameplay experience is so compulsive and gratifying that you just want to get as much as, as you can out of it until the bitter end or that the storylines compelling enough for you to want to know what happens to the character at the end or that you know there's, there's just sufficient reward for, for what you're doing and there's that competitive element of reaching the end and seeing how you fared against other people have external rewards like achievements, trophies, and unlockable themes and such, ruined the experience. They've they've changed the experience. the The whole notion of the meta game um, has certainly skewed the way that games are played. Um, I wouldn't say they've they've ruined it. I think in, in some ways, and a lot of people argue this, that achievements, for example, really are quite of, they're kind of good ways to inspire you to try and play a game differently. Um, you, you you do find that you go through games you know your way 
And then you'll see an achievement that says, oh, you know, kill 20 enemies with this weapon. You go, well, I've never used that weapon. So the, a good set of achievements, a good set of rewards like that will actually inspire you to get the most out of the game. There, there, are, there are very lazy achievements um, that just reward you with doing stuff you do anyway. Um, and that's fine. I mean, in, in my view, I think any trophy or achievement list should kind of be 50% stuff that the player would do and they're being rewarded for actually making their way through the game and completing the game. The other 50% should be doing things out of the ordinary, doing things that are either exceptional or um, provide a different spin on, on what you're doing in a game and, and encourage encourage replay. Certain ones have gone completely the wrong way, like... Um, I think, I think Guitar Hero 3 has some of the most ridiculous and unrewarding achievements ever. There's like one for, I think there's one for, there's like Hendrix mode, which is finish the entire game on, on, on lefty mode, even if you're like a, right, a right-handed guitar player. It's like, there's the kind of thing where if I did a song, I'd be happy to do that, but there's, there's just no, it's just a slog for the sake of points. That's not something where you go, oh, I've actually achieved something here. It's just, it's just a sense of, I've been put through the mill and forced to waste time. So yeah, I think I think anything that actually encourages you to really discover as much as the game has to offer, and the developers, you know, made a game that's deep enough to have that those additional layers, you know, is, is a great idea. Um, I think a recent example uh, that struck me was just like Max Payne Three. Then then they're not complicated, but they're things like uh, kill six enemies. It at this certain point in the game, in free aim mode, which which is like a, it's like a little mini arcade challenge because you can just keep replaying that section if you mess it up. It's like kill six enemies while you're diving out of a window, um, in this in this like in like stage two of the game, and I must have replayed about fifteen times just to do that dive and just to get the shot. But it was a real test of it was a real test of reflexes and accuracy, and it, it, it was it was something where you could progress with the game even if you hadn't done it. But it's a, it's a little kind of meta challenge within the game. I, th I think that's that's a really rewarding way to play, and it really takes what is in effect quite a linear shooter and just adds a, just adds an extra an extra layer of fun and, and challenge to it. So no, I, th I think achievements have forced developers to really um, think much more deeply about the contents of the game and to almost encourage people to find exploits and and, and things that will that will that will really kind of get help them to get the the most out of it. So yes, all in favour. Versus or co-op? If you had to marry one. Oh, if I had to marry one, oh <laughs> god. Um, oh, that's a tricky one actually. I I love I love both dearly, but okay, because I still say that Street Fighter in its many incarnations is my favourite, then I'd say Versus. I, I think there's... Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for the thrill of beating a human opponent. I think working together is brilliant, but I think the thrill of... the, th the thrill of the the thrill of the fight, you know, playing playing a game of FIFA or Pairs or Street Fighter or just something where... or Mario Kart, oh my god, any, anything like that, you know, there, there's nothing that kind of gets the heart going as much as a, as a, as a competitive game. Last three questions. Feel free to take a few moments to think about these ones. Okay. Because everybody seems to have a little problem thinking about what they're going to say. Okay. Personal favourite moment in games? 
Oh yeah, I see why people might. <laughs> Personal favourite moment. Oh my god. Um, I, I think if it's in terms of just sheer anticipation and that anticipation actually being uh, rewarded, uh, probably Super Mario 64. Um, I don't know, as a game or just as when I booted it up? It's, so basically I'd, I'd, I'd had to save for my Nintendo 64. I'd sold a PlayStation and, and uh, I was working part-time in a, uh, in a coffee shop and my mom had gone into town to pick it up for me because I'd pre-ordered it, but I was at work. And she came in and she held the bag with the N64 while I was had like three hours of work left. Like showed me the N64 with Mario 64, and I was like, I couldn't wait. I was like, three hours, three hours, you know, it's just the slowest three hours of my life. And I get home, and my friend's got his as well, and he's got pilot wings, so we kind of get together, and we put it on, and uh, just that initial exploration around the garden uh, outside the castle. Uh, just using the stick and the, just just getting to grips with the the, the motion uh, of the character and just just how ahead of uh, ahead of anything I'd kind of played in the PlayStation at the time it was um, yeah just stood out and I I think we I think we sat and played it till four or five in the morning it was just it was just wonderful it it it, it just represented such a such a step up from anything I'd seen or played at, at that time. And, and it was just combined with that utter, that utter uh, agonizing weight of actually playing it and, and just being so, so beautifully uh, rewarded for my patience. I'm phrasing these last two very specifically. Okay. Because I want to avoid best ever because I, I'm trying to aim <laughs> for a different response. I hate the top hundred lists yes, for games because yes. it's always the, uh, the same games appear and, you know, I don't think there is ever one truly perfect game or anything. No, um, so, most important game you have ever experienced? Um, I wonder, in a way, if it was that first brush with Pac-Man that was most important to me. Um, purely because that's what kick-started the whole thing um but in, in another way even though i remember it i was still kind of barely cognizant at the time um so it may have actually been when i got the spectrum itself and maybe i couldn't say that it was one game maybe it was the combination of games that came with it because there was scrabble and horoscope skiing um and was it Spitfire 40 and some and uh, Checkered Flag and and all those games and I, I think collectively they they were most important because none of them individually are very good uh, or, or particularly memorable but what it's it's more what what makes them important is what they represented and and that was a completely new world. For me, as a child, to see all these, to see these games, and go, wow, this is, this is something else. This is something I just am immediately in love with and just want to play. Um, and the fact that it was, it was, Spectrum and those games that came with it that that 
that shaped my my love for gaming and and just and just started that started that road. Um, yeah, it's weird. I've never really thought about them in that way. I've never really thought of them as as important because um, none of them are my favourite. None of them are, are in my as you say. I'm you know I haven't got a top hundred list, but none of them would ever be in it. Um, but at the same time, they they were the, they, the you know they're formative games. They were they, they were the ones that shaped shaped my passion, and and uh, and in a, in a way, what what got me here today. Lastly, most important person or team working in the industry today. Um, I'm I'm gonna have to be really I'm gonna have to be really uh um predictable and and just say nintendo you know i'm not gonna say miyamoto because i think he is very important he's incredibly important but when you look at how the nintendo magic permeates across a lot of what they do he's not at the the hub of all of that there are a lot of people there who are incredibly talented incredibly created and their, their their content overall, even the stuff that's not that great, still has an effortless charm. They've, we, we, I think yesterday, me and my friends were at the barbecue and we'd, we'd kind of cracked open the 3DSs and um, we had Street Pass open. And the three of us just collectively just started humming the tune, the Street Pass tune, and, and then, the, and then the, um, the, the, the puzzle, I can't remember the name of it, when you have to complete the puzzles, the, the picture puzzles, um, that tune... Instantly memorable. Street Pass Quest, instantly memorable. The Zelda theme, instantly memorable. Star Fox, Metroid, Mario, da da da, Pikmin. You know, they've, they've, they've just, they, they've, they've cracked appealing characters. They've cracked wonderful music. They've cracked, you know, the, the, the deepest and yet some of the most accessible, um, play, uh, of, 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 any, of any developer. And, and, uh, and as much, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about Nintendo. The business people. I'm not talking about Nintendo. Um, the the kind of slightly cynical, you know. Let's let's trot out the same the same game again and see how much more money we can get from it this time. Nintendo. I'm talking about like Nintendo as as game makers um, who still fundamentally understand the the, the joy of gaming and understand. Um, all, all the components that make, you know, a, a truly memorable experience. You know, they're not masters. They're not generally masters of, of narrative or storytelling. You know, I've, I've got friends who would rather dwell on, uh, you know, LucasArts and those games. And those are games that I've loved myself. But I will never, ever think of them as, as, as fondly. They'll never occupy the same place. Uh, in my heart, as as you know, some of the greatest Nintendo games, and I've I've said to people, people look, ah, oh, the Wii U is going to be a flop. The Wii U is going to be rubbish. And say, but one thing you will definitely say about the Wii U is it's guaranteed to probably have three of the best games of its generation on it, regardless. And for whatever reason, if nothing else of any importance ever comes out on the Wii U, you can guarantee at least there will be, you know, those games, and they will they will be from Nintendo. And they will be, you know, forever fondly remembered in the annals of history. And I don't think there's any other uh, console maker or developer that you can ever say say that about. Excellent. Said with passion, sir. Yes. Um,